Hi, listeners. Welcome to the Grief Out Loud podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Jana DeCristofero and wanted to give you just a little heads up as you listen to this episode, you'll be hearing references to our old name, which was Dear Ducky. So just so you don't get too confused, you're listening to the right podcast and we look forward to bringing you even more great content under the Grief Out Loud name. Thanks for joining us. I bought a banjo when I was in college and everyone thought that was the silliest thing, but I fell in love with that music. My biological father played the banjo. So that to me felt a little bit of a, when I look back on that, it was a confirmation of something in my intuition that felt an impulse that I wanted to somehow be creative. Oh, have you seen my love of two years since we parted company? I fear that she is carrying our child, our child that never will be, our child that never and welcome to the Dear Dougie podcast, produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Jana DeCristofero, and thank you for tuning in today. This podcast is meant to open up the often avoided conversation about grief. While we'll all experience loss during our lives, when it occurs, most of us don't know how to feel, what to do, or even how to talk about it. So whether you're grieving a loss or wanting to support someone who is, We hope these podcast conversations will lead to a better understanding of grief and ideas and inspiration for how to show up for yourself and those that you care about. In this episode, we talk with Kimberly, whose father died in a car accident just before her high school graduation. Two decades later, through a DNA test, she discovered that this man hadn't actually been her biological father. Eager to understand more about the mystery of her beginnings, she began a search for her biological father, only to find out he disappeared in a sailing accident when she was 10 years old. Unfolding this part of Kimberly's history has been a complex and poignant adventure, full of self-discovery, threading together universal themes of identity, belonging, family secrets, and the strange unconscious pull of DNA that encourages us into our fullest expression. She is also a former group facilitator and our peer support group for young adults who are grieving the death of a family member or friend. Welcome, Kimberly. It's nice to see you again. Nice to see you. You know, Kimberly, when you and I were working together, your story of who you were grieving was the dad who had raised you. And it wasn't until just a few months ago that we reconnected when I saw your Facebook post about having discovered that the dad who raised you wasn't actually your biological father. When did you first have a sense or an inkling that the man you'd always known as your father might not be your biological one? Well, there was, um, when I was 17 years old, there was a day that my, apparently my, my father hadn't died yet. My, I guess I'll call him my adopted father, um, which just seems strange because he was my dad. Um, but he encouraged my mother to tell me about the ambiguity around my conception. There was a question about who my father was, and apparently they decided when I was born that it was not going to be a question and they put it out of their minds. And so my mother took me for a walk after school and said, hey, I have something to tell you. And um, it seemed so absurd when I heard it. Um, And maybe it was the way she told me because it seemed absurd to them. And so I took that information in and thought, that's strange. And I'm so much like my dad. And I'm curious, did you ever discuss the situation with your dad? You know, that's a good question, and I don't remember talking about it. I I, I 
he died six months later. I think there probably was an integration period for me where I may have been simmering with it. Um, I can't find anything about it in my journals, or but I may have just dismissed it. I was a teenager, you know? Weird parents, <laughs> why are you telling me this? But then when my dad died, and so suddenly it really pushed that to a deep level in my psyche where I, I, my alliance was to him and boy did I not want that to be shaken after he died. And so I really put it out of my mind. I do remember um, around the time when everyone had access to Google and I think it was when I first moved to Portland. Um, I, I, there was a, an issue with his la my biological father's last name and my mother never could remember his last name. She remembered his name was Charlie and she remembered he had a TV show and he was a musician, but that's not enough to Google mm -hmm. and get an, any information up. I do remember searching a few times, almost as like a an evening pastime with a cup of tea <laughs> and nothing would ever come up. Um, and so again, and that was before DNA tests were cheap and easy and it would just fall away into the ethers. If I had thought about it, it was a, uh, hmm, I wonder how I can entertain myself this evening. Mm -hmm. And nothing more than that, because I don't think any of us believe that it was real. What connection, if any, do you think there is between your dad's wish for your mom to share that information with you and his death six months later? Gosh, I mean, that's a, that's a good question. I, I do wonder if intuitively he knew, he knew the truth. He does remember telling my mom when I was an infant that he walked into my room and was watching me and had a sense that, that I wasn't his and he felt like he had to, that, that somehow in the way that he told my mom um, that I could tell that he was unsure and, <laughs> and, and he wanted me to not have that feeling and so he decided in that moment that he was never going to have that thought again. I do think that I'm not a parent, but I would imagine it might be one of those intuitions that is pretty strong when you look at a child, and especially when they're younger and they haven't taken on your personality um, and your quirks that he might have known. And he was in a time in his life before the accident of trying to clarify his own purpose in the world and his reason for being, he was a physician, a heart surgeon, and, and was sort of held in a high esteem in the community. Um, but he was also seen by in a Midwestern hospital as a quack because he also believed in um, meditation and nutrition. <laughs> Such a rebel. <laughs> yeah, he was a rebel back in the 80s. <laughs> so um, I think he was struggling a lot with his own identity and and his purpose in the world, and we had a really special bond. And that might have been a deep ache that, that surfaced for him at different times as he was raising me, because we did have a really close relationship. Yeah, imagining what that struggle might have been for him if he's in that place of, am I biologically related to this person that I'm so close to and have such a deep father-daughter bond with? Mm -hmm. He wrote, there was a strange incident where my senior year, I had a teacher who encouraged us to have our parents write a letter to us about whatever they wanted to, and then the teacher would mail it to us a year later. Um, and so that was 
around Christmas time of my senior year that, and my dad took this on as like a really fun project. Um, he made a tape, a cassette tape of like his favorite music. And he wrote this three page letter about these qualities he sees in me that he may have passed on to me, which I find now in hindsight, a little interesting, like nature versus nurture. He was definitely seeing something that I had acquired that he was feeling ashamed about that he had passed on to me, like my own inhibitions and shyness and um, unnecessarily positive qualities yeah, in his estimation. Yeah. And he was pretty psychological and, and trying to like alert me to some things that he may have passed on to me that he wished he could have um, avoided. And anyway, so he put this whole thing together and um, and then he died four months later. And so I got a, my mother got a call from that teacher. Fast forward a year later, and she said, you know, Nancy, I have this package from your deceased husband um, that's addressed to Kimberly. And he, he self-addressed it in the corner. Dad, you know where. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, okay. <laughs> And my mom asked me, would you like this? And I said, yes, I would. And I was so eager, I actually tore it in half, the whole manila envelope. And, and so I still have the letter, and it's got a big piece of scotch tape through it. Um, but that letter talked about inheritance. Um, so, you know, maybe he didn't know. It's just, it's, it's a big question. Yeah, and to have this discovery and not be able to go back and talk with him about that. Mm-hmm. And then Absolutely. you also found out information about your biological father and an inability to talk with him. Mm-hmm. How did you come across more information about him? My mother all of a sudden remembered the last name in 2014 of this, my biological father. And that was enough for me to finally fill in the Google search. And I was sitting in an airport on my way back to Portland and I put in his name and Wisconsin and musician and television show, a couple other words, and up pops an old eBay album, one of his albums from 79, I believe. And it had a photo and I looked at it and I thought, that's me. Wow. (laughs) And it, again, I wasn't looking for an answer. It just was odd. We, my mother and I were on vacation together and she just remembered his last name. Oh, like a light bulb went on. But at that time, I didn't have a DNA test to confirm it. It was just a photo. So I went home with that photo and um, showed it to my husband. What do you think about this? Who does it look like? I didn't give him any other context. And he said, well, it looks like it could be your dad. Um, And I stored that away. And um, I started, it took me less than 24 hours to discover an obituary of his um, with the sailing accident and then also my grandfather's obituaries. So I had names attached to these obituaries, survived by, you know, sibling one, sibling two, wife, etc. Not my biological father's wife, but my grandfather. So I was piecing together some names. Um, and then I put those names into Google. <laughs> and none of the sisters showed up, but I did find my uncle, um, who was his younger brother who's a filmmaker in Michigan and I thought hmm, this is interesting because I'm a filmmaker, filmmaker. <laughs> and um, 
I he had you know a website and pictures and a Facebook page and um, and then that led me to the other siblings, um, one of them which is an artist and it, 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 there was some interesting pieces that were starting to arise that um, were making me uncomfortable actually inside because I had had a very um, wellness-oriented, medical-type um, influence growing up. And I was on track to go to medical school and naturopathic school, and but I'd always had this deeper pull toward the arts um, with no mentoring or any, you know, environment that encouraged that. And so all of a sudden I started discovering this family that was connected to my biological father, including the father himself, who were extraordinarily creative <laughs> um, and not just through hobbies but professions and and so that made you uncomfortable to recognize the pull towards the, that aspect of yourself that you hadn't really explored it, well it was making me uncomfortable to feel like maybe this is the truth because again I still didn't have a DNA test it was making me feel like how, how could it possibly be that these people are related to me but boy I think they might be, you know, and it was that intuition, I think, that was making me feel nervous. So I sat with that for a week, and I contacted Wisconsin Public Television, where my father's, um, biological father's television show was, and they had some archival footage of some of his shows, and there was one show they were always educational shows, and one of them was about, like, hunters of the sky, I think it was, and it was um, eagles and owls, and there was a, a, a clip of my biological father's hands digging through, like, owl scat. <laughs> <laughs> and I, that was the moment, I truly, before even I had the DNA test, where I thought, okay, this is my father and it was because I don't have hand I have unusual hands and I don't have and none of my family growing up have these hands like long nail beds and crooked pinkies and um and you could see all that in that photo or in that video oh my gosh identical hands (laughs) so that was enough for my brother and I to go let's do a DNA test and we did, and again, I still kind of thought, mm, you know, this could be all wrong. What a silly thing to pursue. Owl hands or no owl hands, yeah. this is probably not true. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then we got it back, a little, just a little email that said half-brother when my, my brother and I took the test. And um, a month after I got the DNA test was when I decided I should reach out to the filmmaker brother because he was the only one I had an actual um, email to because of his business. And I, I composed a letter that really, in a nutshell, said, I just want you to know that I exist. And I, um, it sounds like you lost your brother in a very tragic way, and I by no means am trying to bring up your own grief around this, and I don't want anything. Um, and if this is too much, just ignore this letter. I'm sorry, but I, I really wanted you to know, and here's the history, and here's the test. And, and so basically, I just gave them everything. 
and then put it in their court. And being really careful around their feelings and expectations. Yes, that was the most important piece to me. I did not want them to think that I was coming to them with any other reason than just, I exist, and if that's important to you, then let's connect. And if it's too much, or if it's painful or awkward, just... I'm sorry, you know, and ignore it, which would have been a, a strange thing for me to have to deal with. I got, I won the lottery when it comes to who these people are. What um, were your hopes when you originally sent that letter? I wanted to connect. You know, I really, I want, I, and I still do. It's, it's a piecing together of who my father was and they adored him. And so they have treasures that they've saved of his life and they just keep sending me these things books of poetry and photos and anecdotes and um, albums and I mean the, all the tv shows my uncle edited together so that I have a dvd of everything he ever did and he put together all of his favorite music I mean they they want me to know who he was and boy are they thrilled that that I exist and and it just is a a piece of of somebody that they loved so much who disappeared um, too early and so when my uncle got the letter his sisters were planning on visiting two weeks later anyway and he didn't want to deliver this information over the phone um, so they he, um, he decided to wait and sit with the letter for two weeks and then print out a copy for each of them when they arrived. And he sat them in a room and being the filmmaker, he just wanted to watch their <laughs> expressions. Say it, it sounds kind of like a setup for a reality TV show scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, why didn't you have the cameras rolling? <laughs> so he decided uh, to just watch this process. And they were a little annoyed with him at first, like, oh, come on, we have to go to, it's lunchtime or dinner or whatever, let's get out of here. And they got halfway through. And I mean, first of all, as I'm learning, my biological father was quite the charmer with the ladies. So they weren't surprised at all. <laughs> and they, they knew he was a trickster and he was a kind of a Walt Whitman type rambling man. Like he had, he made up his own rules and he had his own way of operating in the world and he wanted um, to play by those rules. And so they were like, of course. In fact, we actually wondered <laughs> when this was going to happen. Um, so not that shocking to them. Not shocking. I mean, sh yes, shocking, but also very easy for them to go okay and I as soon as they received the information I think it was a day or two later that I received emails from individually from all three of them that were just I mean so heartfelt and welcome to the family and we love you and it was I still, I mean, I get goosebumps when I think about how gracious they have been in inviting me into this family it could have been a very different experience. You know, we talk about grief here, and, and it, it's in, an interesting flip side to grief because we're all dealing with different layers of it. They're dealing with it from the loss of their brother. I'm dealing with it, the, the emptiness of not knowing a man, and then the father who was 
the previous part of my grief and it's a real interesting mix that's also filled with a lot of joy which can sometimes be a little bit of confusing for my brain my husband sometimes says you know you've got these polar opposite experiences happening sometimes simultaneously like the joy of getting to know this man through his family and being connected and finding another family to be part of in the midst of grieving the man who raised you and grieving the fact that you didn't get to know this man while he was alive. Exactly. Yeah. So Kimberly, with the timeline of all of this, you experienced a really intense bike accident and that happened just before or just after you received the results of the DNA test? It happened just before. It happened the week that I found out that, the week that I found the photo of the album that looked so much like a male version of myself <laughs> that it started, and then I started finding information about the brother, the filmmaker brother that week. Um, so, so it happened during the week that I was doing the Google searches, and I started feeling a little kind of shifty in my stomach about, this is strange. Like, I think these people might actually be related to me. But I didn't have confirmation, and it was five days later that the bike accident happened, um, where I, I uh, was doored by a car, and I uh, broke my pelvis and had a concussion, and was pretty much... Um, well, I was on bed rest for two months, and then after that was back to learning how to walk and then developed vertigo very shortly after that. Um, and the vertigo I still have right now, um, but I've learned to work with it, and it's not nearly as intense as it was. But there were two years um, where I actually had to go back to Colorado, and my mother took care of me for a while because I couldn't leave the bedroom. It was so intense. So you had this parallel process of going through a really major physical transformation, debilitation with the vertigo after the bike accident and discovering all of this new information about a family and a biological father. How did all that work together in, in kind of changing or influencing or affecting your sense of your own identity? Oh, it, it stripped everything down to the bottom. I mean, I think about the, the metaphor of a pelvic fracture is a crack in your foundation and my foundation was cracked in every single way and uh, and so my identity <laughs> pretty much went out the door um, and I'm still working on getting that re rearranging that and I am grateful to be in this place now in my life where I am kind of getting to pick and choose and how I want to bring build the building blocks of my identity um, but it's a different identity that I had before that door hit me and before the DNA test um, the family of my biological father was it was scary to have to share this with them because they don't they don't know me prior to the bike accident and I, we had made plans. When the vertigo first started, I thought, oh, it's just going to go away, you know? How long is this going to last? And it was episodic. And so my husband and I had made plans to go visit this new family. And um, it progressively, after we had those plane tickets, the vertigo got worse and worse and worse. And the day before the <laughs> flight, 
I thought, I have to tell them. I let them know we're getting on a plane, we're going to do this because it's important, but I am not myself. And it was really, really challenging. Um, but the warmth that they they offered once I was there was extraordinary. It was a, such a strange time, though. I mean, I still think, I do still have a hard time even talking about it because it was so much was up. It's like you're in constant shock. And I do think there was obviously the physical, the concussion, and the vertigo, but there was the emotional shock happening simultaneously that, um, you know, I just think of a cat when their fur is extended. Mm-hmm. It, that's kind of, I think, what was happening with my nervous system. And um, Yeah, to have your body reflecting what's going on for you emotionally and your emotions reflecting what's going on in your body mm-hmm. is exacerbating all of it. Yeah, and and then this whole other, someone had to br- mention to me, because my vertigo isn't circular, it doesn't spin, it's like I'm being on a boat. So I describe it like, today I'm on 10-foot seas, and um, my f- biological father died mm-hmm. at sea, <laughs> um, uh, according to the... Uh, obituary there were 18 foot swells that day that came up on Lake Michigan so you know was and I thought well is this my way my psyche's way of trying to understand what happened to my father right before he disappeared or I mean who knows it's but I I I would like to know (laughs) I would like to have all of these things figured out someday (laughs) and I think the only way I will come to some resolution within myself is to to continue to creatively explore this story. um, What do you imagine will be some future product? You know, I think a film would be a really interesting way to um, explore this. I have a lot of footage of my father, but I don't want it to just, there's this, the part of it that's interesting is kind of the weaving of you know, my own story and the father who raised me, his story and this sort of, because there's a lot of parallels and different pieces that come together. And so I, uh, currently I'm working on um, answers to poems that my biological father wrote. Um, Answers as in, he might have written about a, a sparrow in a barn. And I as if he were to write that poem and send it to me and say, now, how would you finish that poem? Or what is, how do you interpret this poem and give me your version of it from Portland, Oregon? And so I'm, I'm doing a, that as a conver- an invisible conversation, kind of. Yeah, almost as a way of making art together. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's Because that would be the dream, you know, to be able to take these two men that have greatly influenced me one silently and one through 18 years uh, fathering and just to continue that conversation. Kimberly, thank you so much for being here today and telling this expanded story from when you and I first met and describing so eloquently the process of transformation that this discovery has brought about for you and for your life. Thank you. It's really good to talk about, and um, I I learn about it as I navigate my way through. And to have um, empathic listeners is, is a great way I'm learning for me to integrate this into my life. 
And your previous work, your creative endeavors, have really touched on a lot of themes around grief and loss and death. And I'm curious for listeners, where can they find some of your photography and your films? My um, website is probably the best place where everything is cataloged right now, and it's my name, KimberlyWarner.com. Um, the Portland Airport has one of my films showing right now at the Hollywood Theater. Really? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can also see that film on my website. So that's currently the best place where you can find my work. Great. Well, I will link to that in our show notes so you can see all of the amazing art and film that Kimberly has created. And, you know, stay tuned for what might come from this story and this new discovery. And thanks, everyone, for listening today. If you'd like to hear any of our past episodes, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, any other podcast platform that you use. You can also find us on our website, which is D-O-U-G-Y dot If you have any ideas for a topic or something you'd like to hear us talk about on this podcast, please email them to us at help at Dougie.org. Thanks for listening. Hope you'll join us again next time. The song you heard throughout this episode is called Have You Seen... It's the 13th track from my biological father's 1982 album called Home and Away. It's a pretty special song to me because it's about an intuition he had about being a father to a son or a daughter. I guess it sort of haunts and comforts me to know that he wrote a song about that.